Ladies and gentlemen, it is noon, it is time to start this session. Welcome all to yet another informative and important session at the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. My name is Klaus Jericho, and I was ordered to be your moderator <laughs> by Knudi. Um, and it's a great pleasure to, uh, to help along with this session. Uh, I just want to get through the house business very quickly. As you know, please turn off your electronic devices. Uh, place your $12 in the basket. And um, the presentation is covered by Shaw. That is the presentation only. And the question and answers will be recorded on the SACPA website. I will now introduce the topic, which uh, is public lands. And um, public lands means that it belongs to you and me. And that means that we have responsibility. And in this case, well, of course, Canada, any public lands issue is a huge area. But the area for the castle watershed is uh, 260,600 American football fields. <laughs> because each American football field is about an acre. It's a little bit bigger, a small, little smaller than the Canadian football field. But I mean, it's a huge area. So really, uh, it's our responsibility to look after it. Uh, for whom? I think we have to look after it for the long-term good of Alberta. So that's where the responsibility comes in. The uh, call for taking care of this particular area, the Castle Watershed, goes way back. It used to be part of the National Park. Uh, and other organizations have all called for taking care of the area. But the first sort of local group that formed for the purpose of studying why we should protect it was the Castle Cowan Wilderness Coalition out of Pincher Creek. And it was spearheaded by Dave Shepard. And he devoted 16 or 17, 18, 19 years of his life for that purpose. And I would like... Um, Dave and uh, Jean to stand up, please, because they devoted so much of their time to it that we should recognize them. <laughs> and I went, I went along with Dave for 10 years, and that's why this subject is so close to my heart. But, you know, that's irrelevant. My heart is irrelevant. It's for the good of Alberta. That's what we're talking about. So let me now introduce the speakers for today. <clears throat> we have two ladies here who are very conversant with the subject. One is um, Andrea Khaladi. She is, um, um, she got a Bachelor of Education and a Master's of Arts in Philanthropy and Development. And she has taken it to her heart to look after this area properly. And she's president of the Castle Cowan Wilderness Coalition now. 
And the other, <coughs> and the other speaker is Connie Simmons. She has a PhD uh, in environmental ethics and conservation history. And she has been heavily involved in watershed management of, of, of the Athabasca and the Old Man Watershed. So both ladies are very conversant with the science and the understanding of public land management. So I think without further ado, I will ask two ladies to come up and to tell us all about how we should protect this area. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for the invitation to be here to speak to you today. Um, hi, Jean and Dave, who were my neighbors before they moved to Lethbridge. I babysat your daughter, and I feel like I could never, ever, even though I am the chair of the Castle Crown Wilderness Coalition presently, the legacy that I look back on, as in Dave Shepard, James Tweedy, Gord Peterson, to name a few of the people that have done so much work, I feel like I'm, uh, hmm, I don't, I feel, I, I feel so, uh, it feels very special to have those people behind me and me coming in on the, the tail end of where we are right now with legalizing and protecting the castle. Um, it's just, it's such a great legacy and I'm very honored to be part of that legacy. Uh, both Connie and I, not only do we have an interest in the area, we are residents in the area, and that is a big, uh, it's a big emotional, re emotional and civic responsibility of ours to, to make sure what is done with the area is the best that could possibly be done. We speak from the heart today. Um, and we speak with emotion, and we are both very pleased at this opportunity to speak with you here today, so thank you. Oops, I'm sorry. Uh, so what we're going to speak to you today about is where it is geographically and why the Castle Wilderness, Wildland and Provincial Parks are an important part of the crown of the continent ecosystem. We'll also walk you through, from our perspective, the draft management plan of the park. And we'll touch on the vision, the purpose, and the principles that have been laid out through the Government of Alberta through environment and parks. And then we'll also, we'll also talk to you about the challenges, challenges that we see uh, through this draft management plan. So on the land and recreation management plan, I've actually already had um, a question brought to me. Oh, I should go back. You know, I'm a little vertically challenged beside Andrea, so that's why I have to bring this down. Um, and I hope you can see me over this. I should have worn my high heels. So the, the question that we're doing, we're going to tag team this whole approach and, and sort of speak again, as Andrea said, from the heart. And one of the things I'll be doing is looking at um, some of the positive benefits from the parks as well as taking a look at where the government of Alberta is going to actually address some of the concerns. So on the land use and recreation management in Alberta's southern east slopes, I'll be touching on that at the end of the actual presentation. So where is the castle? 
So the castle is the pink area that you see in the map there. And just as a bit of a, a guideline, the, the, uh, the horizontal line there is the U.S. and ca uh, Canadian border. And Waterton Park is kind of the light blue area in there. So cast the castle area is part of a whole connectivity running north, north to south of that entire area. Immense biodiversity, uh, connectivity for wild, um, for animals and other wild mammals, and it plays an important part in the health of that entire region. So because of the um, international significance of this area, it has been a focus of protection, as Klaus alluded to, for many years. I, I would say prior to 1970, and Dave would probably be one to speak to this, but it has been the focus of protection for quite a long time. On se in September, this, uh, in September 2015, Minister Phillips made an announcement in the Crow's Nest Pass regarding the area and that how the goal of the government of Alberta was to permanently protect the area. <clears throat> and the area needs permanent protection, not only because of the beauty and the econo ecological diversity of the area, but it is our source water. The two maps that are shown here, the map on your left is the original South Saskatchewan Regional Plan. And the map on the right is the amended plan. And you can see, and I apologize if it's not that clear, but the map on the left, or sorry, the map on the right, the amended map, uh, it looks at protecting more of the valleys, the watersheds, versus the one on the left, which was um, ice and rocks. So just to look at the uh, important source water values, and I know within the Old Man uh, watershed, uh, this is a really important consideration for all of us. Every downstream community requires the source water from the Old Man headwaters. This particular map was actually generated from the Old Man Watershed Council's headwaters indicator project. It is from actual data that we gained from the Government of Alberta. It is a public document. You can find it on the Old Man Watershed Ma uh, Council's website. And it was completed in 2014. So the data actually that created this map, and I'll talk about it because I think it really underscores the importance of water as a source water protection issue for the castle. Um, this information came forward. We took a look at different kinds of threshold values that actually support source water and how we deal with other elements within the headwaters region. And we took a look specifically also at native uh, trout species at risk. So in this particular map, as you can see, I've got a circle is around where generally the castle area is. And what we've done in the Old Man Headwaters in this mapping is actually separated your watershed area into sub-watersheds, which are all delineated by small lines. And in each of those, they were actually uh, assessed to actually what kind of risk level we actually had to source water protection. The risk matter is pretty high. You can see 77% of our entire Old Man Headwaters, that's the, the orange color and the dark brown color, is actually at moderate to high risk uh, for, for our water source water protection. So we're not just dealing with one area like the castle, we're really dealing with an entire region. The other piece that I'd like to sort of point out, and you can see, and maybe it's a little bit difficult, but there's these little light blue-green lines and all the rest, those are actually are where we finally have the last 
remnant areas for a species at risk, West Slope cutthroat trout and also bull trout. West Slope cutthroat trout actually have a critical habitat order under the Federal Species at Risk Act. So in that, we have an actual legislative responsibility to start looking after that habitat. And you can see in the Castle Circle, a good deal of that is actually in the headwaters, where we have these particular fish. They are indicators of where our watersheds are. They are indicators of what we're doing out there, and they are actually deserving of protection. So right there as a Federalist, we actually have some responsibilities as a society to deal with what's going on. And if you want to point to the map, there's a Oh, good. So let's talk now about the draft castle management plan because I know everybody wanted where did this come from? What was actually going on? As a, a member of the Yellowstone Tukon Conservation Initiative, I was invited as a stakeholder to what they called the castle working group. In the castle working group, we actually got, we were convened last summer and it went all the way through to our last meeting which was on February the 16th. And in that group, we have basically two sort of sub-working groups. One was called the Ecological Working Group, which brought science, conservation concerns, data, information forward for discussion in the, in the planning process. We also had a land use working group, which were representative of a wide variety of stakeholders. So motorized recreation, absolutely, hunters, grazing, ranching, municipal districts, non-motorized recreation, equestrian, everything, they were all there at the table. So when I've heard that the motorized recreation uh, contingent was not represented, they were, and they were very well represented. In fact, I can say quite frankly that at least 70% of the conversation in the Castle Working Group was regarding motorized recreation. So it was very well aired. Uh, extensive efforts by Environment and Parks planners also really did, they did a great job. They went out and had multiple meetings with First Nations, multiple meetings with stakeholders, they listened to everybody. They also brought forward the biodiversity monitoring, traditional land use, historic resources and assessment of motorized vehicle trails as well into the discussion. And as you know, we all have moved forward and th we went through that process from summer all the way through the fall and the, the parks planners took that information from all of these various sources to actually draft that management plan. So it wasn't done on by one single group. It was really a major effort to bring that plan with just many different values and many different interests that came towards that, that draft. Uh, order and Council, you as we know, on uh, the announcement of the uh, Castle Parks, January 20th. Uh, so now the parks are actually in law, they are there. And we now have the draft management plan out for revision or to look at if you want uh, to be looked at by the public up to, originally it was to March 20th. And as of yesterday, uh, this has now been extended to April the 19th for public input. And I really encourage everybody in the room to do so because we need to hear from everyone on this one. So there you go, Andrea, you do that one. So out of the draft management plan there, there are, there's a vision, there's a purpose, and there's also guiding principles. Um, and uh, we won't get into anything deeper than the guiding principles because it is online or, or uh, downloadable to print off where you can read from, you can read the objectives and the strategies that roll out from each of the guiding principles. So at a high level look, the vision and purpose of the castle parks is to have a world-class protected place, high standards in conservation, 
respecting Indigenous rights, and providing exceptional recreational experiences. The primary objective, as the strategies roll out of, is to have high ecological and cultural values, and all management decisions that are made about the park run through the filter of will it be consistent with the protection of biodiversity, our water resources, ecological integrity, and connectivity. <clears throat> the guiding principles of which the objectives and the strategies then fall, the objectives and strategies fall under these principles, the top ones are it's an environmental leadership, evidence-based decision-making, integrated management, and a precautionary principle. Okay, so let's maybe get down into this because I know people are here to talk about what are the challenges that we have and what are the strategies that have been brought forward to actually deal with some of the challenges. So what I'll do is go right straight to it because I know everybody knows about this one. The motorized recreation use has been the lightning rod concern uh, re regarding the Castle Parks and what the draft management plan, the intent of the parks is. All I can say that that particular issue and that concern, that, that particular standpoint was very well aired throughout the drafting of the actual management plan. But we also looked at the science. And we also looked at other aspects of economic diversification and what is required for local communities to continue to look at sustainable future. And so all of these things came to pass regarding where are we actually with that that input was given to the castle management process and out of the draft and uh, castle management plan, as you know, the, the original part was that there would be a phase out of off-highway vehicle use in the castle parks within three to five years. There's an update on that as of yesterday. There will be an extension now. They're just basically saying there will be no changes to our current state of the trail access in the upcoming year enough to give further input from the public and to really weigh all options and to look at other alternatives for off-highway vehicle use in the region. The one thing I'd like to underscore, and I think Andrea talked about this before, just touched on it, is that we also need to understand the precedent-setting nature of allowing off-highway vehicle use in a provincial park. This would be starting something that would actually could very well cascade through the rest of Alberta's provincial parks. If you let it go here, and the values of the park state that this is not a compatible use, this is what we're saying, um, then you actually run the risk of actually having other provincial parks open to this particular kind of use. So as a society, as Albertans, we need to really contemplate that. What are we actually doing? What do we want from our provincial parks? Where are we headed? What's the social answer to this? And how can we actually accommodate all the different uses that are out there? Justifiably, they need that. But where do we put them? How do we actually provide for them? That is actually the question that we're really looking at here. Hunting, let's just clarify for those who are hunters, is allowed in both parks. There's an update on that. There was concern about how am I gonna get my animal out if it's back three, four kilometers. Apparently now we're gonna be allowed to recover game through limited use of trail networks during hunting season. That has been a, a recent change. In camping, the question of random camping. In the provincial park, we're gonna be looking at front country campsites that are automobile accessible. There will be designated rustic facilities for group and family use that will be provided for small and medium sized groups. So that kind of random camping experience areas and places will be provided for that within the actual provincial park. In the wildland park, 
There will be undesignated backcountry camping to enjoy a very self-sufficient wilderness experience and leave no trace camping. That area is relatively pristine, it's absolutely beautiful, has many different values, and I know that the people who go there and enjoy it will continue to do so uh, with this kind of use. Grazing, the ranchers were definitely there in the Castle Working Group and they let us know what they expected. We also had uh, lots of input also from the rangeland staff with the Government of Alberta on this. Uh, continued use is allowed of grazing for the ranchers in the region uh, because it actually con contributes to a sort of a desired vegetation mosaic as, as uh, grazers. So we're going to also work towards minimizing or eliminating grazing in the alpine and subalpine, reduce livestock impacts on the riparian zones and water bodies, which of course is our source water. So that was definitely recognized and an and, uh, uh, update on that in, as of yesterday is that it will be managed by rangeland staff, not specifically this park staff. So they're very much in the know. They know the ranchers, they know the people that they're working with, so this is actually a really good thing to have happened. Now I'd like to take some time, because we've heard a lot about some of the displacement issues and the concerns, but I'll, I'll be getting to that in a minute. But I'd like to really, really concentrate also, because this is a public policy venue that we're talking to, Benefits of economic diversification for local communities. When the government of Alberta worked towards looking at actually establishing the castle parks, one of the major messages they talked about was economic diversification and sustainability for local communities. Minister Miranda and his business plan in 2016 has stated that tourism and cultural industries are key drivers of Alberta's economic diversification. And they're going to look at leading the development in the Castle Region Tourism Strategy to identify the opportunities and support tourism development in the region. This is a really important place for us, specifically for me, who lives in Pincher Creek, and recognizing that the Shell Waterton plant has a, a time frame for closure, 10, 15 years, we're not quite sure when. What is coming in behind? What are we doing within that area to bolster our local economy? That is a big question that still needs to be answered, and I think this in part will certainly go towards helping that community weather that, that transition. The castle area within southwestern Alberta has been identified as an emerging tourism destination for Alberta with the potential of, for growth. This is actually written in the order and council for the castle parks as of January 2017. So you can see that this is not just about recreational users, this is about an economic driver in this region. What are the benefits? High quality of life. Amenity migration, bringing different businesses and people to the area. Recreation business opportunities, tourism business opportunities, keeping businesses viable inside local communities and celebrating, this is a big one for me, celebrating our ranching and our mountain culture. And it's a wonderful com combination to do both. Just a quick look at some of this. This is, a, and just to underscore why this is so important, that protected areas and parks actually bring a boon to local communities. In this particular study, which was done by Headwaters Economics in Montana, uh, they had a look at what was the increase of employment. They had a 345% increase of economic growth because they had upwards of 30% of their land base in protected status. So that does tell us something. On average, western uh, counties had a per capita income of $436 higher for every 10,000 acres of protected public lands within their boundaries. We have many different things that are looking at, different studies that we looked, there was another one, I didn't actually put it up here, took a look at Grand County in the Moab area. Moab is famous for its cheap rallies, but only 7% of the 
of the actual input to that particular ground county economic side was from the motorized recreation segment. So it makes you think, okay, what is going on here? Where are we at? Bureau of Land Management, United States, yes, these are United States studies, but they're indicative of where we're going. They are comparable to what we have here. In this Bureau of Land Management, they took a look at the actual input of economics input into local communities within a 50 mile radius of any protected area, recreation area. And they specifically focused on what they call quiet recreation, which is the non-motorized recreation segment. This is a huge segment. They found that two-thirds of the economic input came from the quiet recreation segment. So this, again, is worthwhile thinking about as we move forward to look at where we headed in the crown of the continent, which is actually a geotourism center. And we have a big hole, by the way, in southern Alberta. We haven't actually had a lot there to provide in the tourism piece for the crown of the continent because we only had Waterton at that point that, by the way, is bursting at the seams, and so is Glacier National Park, so is Banff. So what is that telling us where we're headed with this particular recreation and tourism segment? So on that, let's take a little look at Alberta and where we're at with that. And so do we have quiet recreationists among us? We would say yes. So in 2015, a survey was done, a research survey was done by the independent group, Praxis Group. And out of that survey, they, uh, they interviewed 1,500 Alberta uh, adult Albertans, and they found that, among other things, that 86% of us would prioritize non-motorized recreation in wilderness over motorized recreation. So the vast majority of Albertans practice non-motorized recreation and we enjoy being in the wilderness without a motor. Uh, just further to that actually when we took a look at the actual motorized recreation segment in Alberta it's about six per to eight percent of Albertans actually use it for recreation and in the South Saskatchewan Regional Plan it's about two to three percent. Um, so when we're taking a look at proportionality of recreation uh, amenities and what we're doing, we do need to keep those proportions in mind. So it's very important. So I'd like to finish off now. When we're talking about proportions and we're talking about who's actually out there and what the needs are, what are we looking at sustainable communities over time and what does the recreation tourism potential have for the area? I also want to talk about the displacement issue. Everybody's heard of the toothpaste effect and what are we doing with thousands, of, and there are thousands of people who actually use motorized recreation. How do we accommodate them appropriately? What do we do as a society? What does the government of Alberta do to accommodate people to actually take their chosen way of recreating and actually have a good experience? So the government of Alberta has actually put in a phase out of OHVs in the council for a very good reason. It's giving them time because we're taking a look now in the Livingston and Porcupine Hills, which are just north of uh, Crow's Nest Pass and you know where the Porcupine Hills are. There's two different efforts going on right now. One's called a land footprint management plan and the other is a recreation management plan. So each of these plans is very, very important for the future of how we manage both public land use and also recreation land use in the eastern slopes of Alberta because we're starting here, we're gonna take a look at how this works. So 
In this, they've actually looked at and done a priority area zoning process that looks at where we could actually have some use, but where are areas that are really important for source water protection and biodiversity protection. It is not about excluding, it is simply about creating areas that actually will work best, okay, for all of those different recreation uses. So within that, the recreation management plan will come in and we'll take a look at the various uses that are out there and how we can accommodate them. So we would look at designated areas and designated trails with great experiences for the off-highway vehicle contingent of our user groups. We would also look at areas for them to camp and look at how we can actually mitigate and deal with water crossings, which are huge risk, as I showed to you before, the Old Man Watershed Council's actual risk management maps in our headwaters, really important to start taking care of our water. In southern Alberta, can't ask for a more important piece. So with that, we're taking a look at this, and in this map, you can see Livingston is on the left, and the light gray is the areas where that's sort of zone two, that this is a draft, this isn't final, it's still in, in process, but it gives us an idea of where they're at and where we could actually place those recreation needs. So that's it, the darker gray is where you have high source water or biodiversity uses. So they're really taking a look at how do we do a better approach rather than a free for all, everywhere, all places, all times, which hasn't been working for Alberta's East Slopes. So we're really seriously hoping that they will carry through with this and they need support to do it. That's why we all love this. This is our place. It's beautiful. This is from the top of Table Mountain looking down at Beaver Mines Lake. That's the castle. Is it worth it? It's all those values that we talked about, biodiversity, water, proper recreation, actually health and well-being of local communities. This is what this is about. And it's also about understanding where the best places for different uses are. The science is there. The public sentiment is there. We understand the, the worries, you know, from the actual off-highway vehicle community. We certainly do, but there is a way to bridge this and to actually work together and see what we can do. Thank you. It's great.